Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. Well, uh, if you guys are tired of that video that we've shown for 16, 23, 24 weeks, we are done showing that video. So... Um, yeah, uh, it's kind of sad because that means that our friends who were on it that moved uh, to Idaho, we don't get to see them every week in church, uh, but, uh, but I, was, I was glad to have it. Uh, a few things to say. One is, you know, in this service, the kids get out of hand sometimes. Every once in a while, you get the kids in this middle screaming, yelling, jumping around. Let me just say one thing. I want kids to grow up remembering how much they loved church. And so, um, in many ways, those of us who are, would call ourselves more mature than them, like, yeah, there's going to be times we're going to, like, wrangle them in, and I think we should, um, but I, I don't want them to have their memories of church be us uptight, old, crusty people telling them to quit dancing in front of Jesus. So I just want to say that to you real fast, because I know for me, I'm, like, playing music today, and I'm, like, not looking at the chords. I'm, like, oh, my gosh, please don't let my son, like, do a stage dive. Um, so that being said, today we're going to be in our Bibles in John 21.1. John 21.1. We have Bibles available in the back if you need one, uh, some real nice ones if you need to take one home and study it. John 21.1. And uh, today the, the message is called Fish Sticks with Jesus. Um, and you'll see why. Um, John 21.1. For our people who need translation, Buenos días, si necesita escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. Well, guys, uh, to, in, in order to talk about uh, what we're talking about today, I got to go way back. I got to go back thousands of years um, to uh, the time when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Uh, they had been in slavery for quite some time at this point. They'd been beaten to the point of death. Uh, the Pharaoh had killed the firstborn son of every family. They were abused and mistreated. They were whipped. And God, in that moment, intervened. And he said uh, to the prophet Mo uh, Moses, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And so Moses, what does he do? He goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. Let my people go. And of course, we know about the fight. And we know about how God provides all these miracles to say, hey, 
These are my people. Lay off. Then what happens? He parts the Red Sea. Israel walks through the Red Sea on dry land. A miracle of God to show how much he cares, how much he loves, how much these people are my people. And then Israel finds himself where? In the desert. There in the desert, they start to get hungry and they get thirsty. And they start to say, where's God now? Where's he at? Like they're so forgetful, right? So quickly, they've seen every miracle done and here they are in a desert and they get a little parched. They get a little hungry and they're like, where is this God? He doesn't even care. He just brought us here to kill us. And they even pine for these meat pots. They say, when we were back in Egypt, we had meat pots. Now the meat pots, if, if I were to describe them for you, um, I don't know how to describe them for you because there's very few understandings of what they were. But consider this. They were in slavery and they were, they were given pots of meat to eat. Do you think that was the choicest meat? Do you think that was the good stuff? I like to think of it as, uh, so one time we had this church picnic um, when I was back in Wichita, Kansas, and um, we thought, hey, we need to feed a lot of people for as little money as possible, and um, someone said, hey, I got an idea. For this picnic, let's put hot dogs in a uh, slow cooker. That's right. (laughs) Let's put hot dogs in a slow cooker. And when I think about Israel trapped in the desert, I'm thinking they're, they're wishing and pining for uh, crockpot hot dogs or meat pots. So Moses um, left them to go up, up on, the, on the, the mountain to talk to God, and it was so quick that they forgot God once again, and they decided, hey, give me all your jewelry, all your fillings, uh, maybe not fillings, but like, give me all that stuff. We're going to put it together. We're going to make this golden calf because really we need to worship something else. It was only a moment before that that they had been saved, and already they were, they were wanting crockpot hot dogs and wanting to make their own gods. Don't we desire to do that, though? Like, we look at Egypt, or we look at Israel, we look at all the people in the Bible, and we're like, man, if I were in that position, you know what I would do. The right thing every dang time. I would be just, like, I would be the one guy amongst Israel that's like, Israel, come on, we're going to do the right thing. But you know, like, we're just like them, right? Because we do things just like they do. So oftentimes we look at the past and we look at the things that made us comfortable and we pine for them. Today we're going to see what was up when the disciples no longer had Jesus hanging out with them. And what happened when he came to check in. After his resurrection, when he came to check in. So we're in John 21, 1 through 14. Let me read this to you, friends. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nada, nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called out to them. Hey, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them. You'll find some. So they did. 
and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Now, just to stop for a second, I love Peter here, right? Peter, if there's one thing Peter is, it's consistent, right? Impetuous, always doing what like he just thinks off the top of his head. And for those of you who share my ADD, you identify with Peter. Hey, there's something. Let's go. He like puts on his clothes and jumps in the water. Peter's in. Now, Peter also puts his mouth in his foot just as much as he does the right thing. But we know us ADD people do that too. So I just love though. I love the way Peter responds. He leaves the other dudes to do to finish the work too. That's something funny to me too. Like they're like pulling in stuff and he's like, see ya, Jesus. Verse 8, since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When the, the other disciples, like, dude, come on, P- Peter, it's, he's still going to be there. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come, have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Friends, would you pray with me? Oh, God, we thank you for your blessing this morning. That you're the God who breaks the chains off our addiction, our suffering, our selfishness. Who are we that you'd care for us? We are nothing, and yet you treat us like beloved children. Father, as we find joy in our salvation, we also grieve and we suffer for those who suffer this morning. Lord, we pray for Chabad Synagogue of Poway this morning. And we know as they were celebrating that Passover that a white supremacist attacked them. And we pray for the survivors and the families of that woman who was killed. Lord, we ask that you would have mercy upon them. Christ, would you have mercy on them? Father, as we navigate this broken world, would you protect us from becoming pessimists? Would you help us to see the hope you offer? Would you help us to understand the depths of your love? Would you teach us this morning? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. So today I got three insights from Fish Sticks with Jesus. Um, And our first one is this. The disciples fell back on what they knew when Jesus seemed far. It's a poorly constructed sentence, but it is what it is. So, much like them, we do the same thing, don't we? We fall back on what we know, what's comfortable, what's easy, what's palatable to us. In verse 2, it said, Simon Peter, Thomas called, and Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon said, I'm going fishing. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. The disciples had gone fishing. Now, this is not like when I go fishing, like we go out to PB Pier and we throw something out. And by that, I mean like when I was like 12 with my brother, like twice. Um, This was like real fishing. This is like, hey, this is how we make money. We're going to go fishing right now. Um, It was commercial fishing. It was what they knew to do before they knew Jesus. It was that thing that gave them comfort that nothing seemed to do. That thing that you know, that thing that is second nature to you, that is what they went to do when they went fishing. 
This proved, in some ways, that the disciples, once again, didn't fully understand Jesus. Just like us, once again, friends. Don't be all judgy. Like, we know that they had committed to following Jesus no matter what, and yet they still didn't understand what it meant to follow Jesus. Like when Jesus was, was held and he was supposed to be taken to be arrested, Peter straight up, once again, our friend ADD Peter, right, took a sword, cut off a soldier's ear. This showed that they didn't understand. They didn't understand the call that God had on their life, and they just went back to what they thought they should do. Peter went fishing because that's what he knew before he knew Jesus. But then Jesus died just like every other, quote, fake Messiah they had heard about, and they went back to catch fish because they had to pay some bills. Now, I can imagine them talking. I could see them in the stillness of the night, the boat rocking, as early morning light begins to peek up over the water. I can imagine them saying things like this. Okay, so we've seen Jesus resurrected, but then he's gone again. So did, did we really see it? What do we do now? Should we start like a website? Do we still go to temple? Are we welcome in temple? I don't even know anymore. Man, I wish he were still here. Jesus would tell us what to do, wouldn't he? And what do you think Peter was saying or thinking? I think Peter was saying things like this. Man, the last time I saw Jesus, it was so awkward. We barely talked. I was like his best bro. And then he just talked to this whole group like nothing happened. He talked to Thomas because Thomas was talking all about him and doubting him. But I honestly didn't know if Jesus was making eye contact with me, you guys, because all I could do was hold my head down. I denied him. I rejected Jesus. He came back to us, but, but man, I couldn't even look at him. Do you think he's still mad at me? Friends, there will be times in your life when you feel like Jesus is far away. You will do the same things, Bible study, prayer, and, and a Sunday morning church service, and you won't feel much. So you'll consider this. You'll say, maybe I should just pull a little bit away from God, from his church. And I tell you, it's a trap. It's a trap. Do not despair. I tell you, even when we don't feel God, he's present. Even when we don't feel like worshiping God, he is present. Even when we feel like everything's falling apart, God is still present with us. But at the same time, that's not what we do, is it? Oftentimes we just decide, hey, we got, we got, to, we got to do something else. I got to try something else because this isn't working anymore. I talk to a lot of guys that get out of prison. Oftentimes when they get out of prison, they think, this is the time I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do it the way it's supposed to be done. They get out of prison, and they get a job working minimum wage, wearing a silly hat. Now they have no respect on the streets like they used to have respect on the streets. They don't bring in enough money for their family to support them making minimum wage. So when they go home, they don't feel respect at home. The manager doesn't treat them the way they believe they should be treated. The manager puts a finger in their face and says, you better get this right or you're going to go back to the streets. So what do they do? What do they do with this? Well, I I'm pretty sure you know what they do. Many of them go back to slinging rock, right? Because it, it may be dangerous, but I have respect on the street and I have money for my family. And really, it's just a little comfortable. It's predictable. But many times they die for this. Many times they die for going and doing what they think is the respectable thing. For going back to the thing that feels comfortable to them ends up putting them back in prison for a long time away from their families. What they don't know 
is that based on prison time and the danger they incur, a minimum wage job would actually make them more money. I've actually seen economists break this down, and a dude who sells drugs makes less money than he does at a minimum wage job over 10 years. It's really interesting, but it's comfortable. It's comfortable. Now, not everyone here may be uh, going back to a gang. Not everyone here may be going back to drug dealing, but you go back to poison all the time. I don't know what your poison is, but we think something else is going to satisfy us like God, but it never does. And we find ourselves at the very end saying, why am I empty again? But then we feel like it's too late. And let me tell you this right now, it's never too late to go back to God. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba, that's like Papa, Dada. So we have not fallen back into this, friends. You are here in God's midst, and he is present with you, and he's urging you that he would be enough. Now, Christians in the room... Before you became a Christian, you did live a certain way. You lied, you stole, you cheated, you exaggerated, you manipulated people and tried to earn people's praise through good deeds. We live for ourselves. The day you became a Christian is the day you died. Now God is taking over everything through the power of his Holy Spirit. You are born again. You have been justified in the eyes of the Father, and now you are being made holy by God, but you still mess up, right? Y'all... Everyone who I baptized came at me just a little bit uh, this last week and just said, hey, what if I mess up again? Maybe not everyone, but most of you. And it's like, yeah, you're going to mess up again. Yeah, and that's okay. Are we, are we going to trust God in everything? No. Do we revert back to old habits uh, when following Christ no longer serves us? Sometimes we will. Let me say this to you men. Dudes, uh, when you cannot seem to find a good Christian woman who will be your wife, do you revert back to finding another woman in the bar scene that may or may not love the Lord? How about this? Were you a religious person, not a Christian, but a religious person who knew how to follow the rules and fake it before you met Jesus? I tell you, friends, don't turn back to that comfort. It ain't real. Don't be tempted to try and earn love through religious do-goodism that hides the truth of your sin. It ain't real. Married friends, when your spouse leaves you feeling unfulfilled, do you seek fulfillment in pornography like an immature boy might? Are you returning to becoming a child again because it's comfortable? May it not be. Christ followers, you don't have to just run back to something else for security. Peter ran back to his old job, and Jesus was like, hey, how many fish you catch? <laughs> How's that working out, bro? And our second point is this. Trust God for the heavy lifting in your life. Trust God for the heavy lifting in your life. Verse 4, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? Nah. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. So they had gone back to what they knew how to do instead of what they were made to do. Suddenly they struggled, didn't they? Now, this is funny because Jesus called them away from fishing when he first called them to follow him. I'm going to read you a long verse. That's what I do. Luke 5, 1 through 22. Oh, I'm going to keep it. I'll keep it shorter than that. We'll go through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. 
And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he had asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, hey, put out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We took nothing, but it's your word I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. When Simon Peter saw it, verse 8, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left this life of fishing to follow Jesus. And here they are back at it again. How many of us leave stuff to follow Jesus and find ourselves right back there? Now, who catches the fish in this story, though? In these two stories, who catches the fish? The disciples? Yeah. Could they have caught the fish without Jesus? No. Disciples catch fish, but they could not do it without Jesus. So who does God uh, describe as his hands and feet on this earth? That's us, his church. Can we do it without him? No. It is he who does the work, the Holy Spirit, and Peter's, um, the Holy Spirit does. Now, Peter says, I'm too weak and full of sin to be the sole winner, but it's God who does it. Even as our church grows, friends, the net will not tear. And I tell you this on the day, the week after Easter, our smallest week. But let me say this, as your pastor, the most amazing things that happen in this church often happen without me. Sometimes they happen without you. God does miracles without you. God does miracles without me. What are we called to do? Be faithful. That's it. Just to be faithful. It's almost like God doesn't need us. Because he doesn't. I like surfing. You guys know this because uh, it's an important part of my life. It's the only thing that keeps me from having a bigger gut than I already do. And I try to go twice a week at least. And uh, there's something in surfing. There's like usually a deep spot in the ocean. And we call it a channel. Some of you guys call it the rip. Um, either way, basically what it is, it's like a ski lift for surfers. Or it drowns you. You know, one of those two things. And basically what it is, it's, there's a deep spot in the ocean where... Um, uh, the waves can't break because it's not shallow enough. And so all that happens is it pulls you out to sea. So when the lifeguard tells you to move, you should move. But when you're a surfer, you see this as your ticket to getting out into the ocean deeper where you want to catch waves without uh, working as hard, I guess. Uh, when I can't identify the channel, I work very hard and I get zero results. And I'll tell you, like, I have really bad eyes, friends, so there are times when I can really not identify where the channel is. And so I have to rely upon my friends. Um, because when I take these glasses off and I'm surfing, um, I have all these friends that if I see them in the parking lot, I don't know it's the same person. Like, my eyes are that bad, right? Um, so I actually rely upon my friends to point out where the channel is. And so sometimes you may need someone to point out to you where God is working and then let God do the work. We need each other. That is why we're the church. Where is God doing something? Where does God want to do something in your life? We need each other to be able to do that. I got people all the time, they're like, dude, I just worship online. I'm like, cool. That's awesome. That's a great podcast. But do you have people that know you, that know your need and know your strength and know your hope and know your despair? 
Sometimes we need people to point out to us even where God is working and then rely upon the power of God. So, if God wants you to follow him, he's not going to leave you without help. It's like James Bond going out to, to battle without Q, his helper. James Bond is awesome, but if he doesn't have dental floss strong enough to hold his body weight, James Bond would be dead, right? If he doesn't have Q's invention of like lasers built into his shoes, he's never going to get out of that Russian prison. The thing is, is we may be strong on our own, but we're not strong enough. We may have things we fall back on that we think are good, but they're not enough. And they're never going to be enough. So disciples have gone back to commercial fishing when Jesus felt distant, literally and figuratively. Did they feel shame when they were proven wrong? No. Jesus didn't approach them with condemnation, but with joy as a father who's just happy to see his kids, right? He doesn't approach you that way either. Guys, he approaches you with joy. And our third point is this. Jesus wasn't mad. He liked his disciples. Jesus wasn't mad. He liked his disciples. Uh, Psalm 18 uh, says something beautiful. This statement. And I, I, don't, I don't know if you can like get this up in you. Like, I don't know if, how you can absorb this, but I wish I could like, like matrix this into your brain, this idea. What it says in Psalm 18, God delights in you. God delights in you. He's not annoyed with you. God is not always sighing about you and the ways you mess up. He delights in you. How do we get that into our brains and our hearts? In verse 9, they got out of the land, they saw charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So friends, you've got to imagine this. Like sun is rising. Sun is rising over a beautiful lake. And uh, if you are a surfer, you know that there's no wind in the morning. So the, the water is like glass. I guess maybe you could be a sailor in here too. We have some Navy people. But the water is like glass. It's quiet. Maybe a few seabirds starting to wake up. And there in the light of the sunrise sits a smiling Savior. That's a beautiful picture, right? The sun rising upon Jesus' face, the one you thought maybe you wouldn't see again. And then what's his body language? It's not angry dad, is it? It's not angry come here, finger wagging, I'm going to get you kids. It's not mad dad pose. He's not offended or betrayed. This is a meal with the people he loved and he spent years in ministry with. He was probably reclining. They were probably laughing, you guys. There is nothing in the scripture that shows anger in Jesus' tone. It's the opposite. He was assuming the posture of one of his greatest stories, right? The prodigal son. Now, did you have parents, teachers, or friends who you had to walk on eggshells around? Is, can, you think, can you take a second to imagine that one person in your life that whenever you're around them, you have to watch your voice, watch your tone, watch the way, you know, like sometimes as parents, like my kids got to watch the way they chew around us before we go crazy at the dinner table. But who in your life, who in your life is that person that when you think of them, something in your stomach kind of goes because you know you've got to be really careful when you're around them. I think in some ways that's how we think about God. 
We have projected that image onto God. Well, I just, I just really can't make him angry. Whatever I do, I'm going to make sure I don't make God angry. And here sits God, incarnate, God in the flesh, God in the carne, right? Sits, reclines in a posture of joy and thanksgiving and happiness. And bro, come sit down with me. I love you. Now, God is all-powerful, but he's not mad. He's not waiting to just snap. And this is what the gospel is. God knew every sin you would commit ever, ever. It didn't phase him. It didn't get him upset. It made him determined. Determined to leave the perfection of heaven Determined to send his son here to this earth to live a perfect life for you. He's not surprised by your sin. He knew it. He chose it. We say he was murdered, but in some ways I'm like, gosh, was he murdered? Or did he choose it? And we know he did. So Jesus came to this earth and sacrificed his life. He was willing to take on the flu, pneumonia, whatever it took. So he could be with you. He was willing to have people talk about him behind his back, spit upon him, and ultimately abuse, beat him, and kill him because he loved you. That doesn't sound like someone's mad, does it? And it's not someone who's just determined to jump in front of a bullet for you, like some like Kevin Costner bodyguard figure. No, this is God who adored you when he did this. He adored you in your sinful state and said, I would die for you. And then... When he died on the cross and rose again, he proved that death had no hold. Sin had no hold on him or you. It was conquered. And so if you've not taken that moment to say, God, thank you. If you've not said, hey, I'm gonna, I, I want to follow you. I want to be new in you. And I urge you to take that moment. Now, we know that story of the prodigal son, right, that Jesus said. You've probably heard it before. That this man went to his dad and he said, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me your inheritance now while you're still alive so I can go enjoy it now. And he took the father's money and he went off and spent it on prostitutes. He went and spent it on hangers-on, buying himself friends, liquor, and women, and maybe just a little more time of fun until it was out. And he found himself feeding pigs and so hungry that he would eat what he was serving the pigs. And if you're a Jewish man, even, even if you had gone away and you were gallivanting to be with pigs was to say, man, I'm not even Jewish anymore because it was so sinful to them. And Jesus tells this story of the man saying, you know, I'm just going to go be like a hired hand for my dad. I'm just going to go back to him and maybe, maybe he'll just like let me work for him even though I, just, I gave him the middle finger to his face and said I wish you were dead. But while he's still a long way off, something happens, right? Something happens with the father. And the father's not sitting on the porch looking out with like a shotgun, but he's looking out with his heart in his hands in front of him, embarrassing himself in front of his servants. Oh, if my son would just come home, if he'd just come home. And, and, and in Luke 15, it says this, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran, embraced him and kissed him. Yo, Old Jewish men are not supposed to run. This is below them. They have servants. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, hey, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his nasty feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they celebrated. The father in this story shares a meal to celebrate that his son was lost and now was found. Jesus, in this passage, shares a meal to remember that his people who were lost are now found. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's something about eating together, friends. There's something about having fights and saying, come on, let's have a meal together because I love you. And Jesus, the father, the father in Psalm 23, they don't assume this posture of, I'm just so mad at you, I can't even look at you. This is a, come on, my arms are so wide, come on in. So when we sin, what do we focus on? Do we focus on our sin and our shame? I tell you, friends, that shame is actually from the devil. Guilt draws us to God. Shame draws us inward and away from him. I tell you, guilt is good. Shame is bad. And guilt is not meant to hang on to you. What, do we, what else do we focus on? Oh, someone else made me do it. It's their fault. How about we focus on the grace afforded to us? How about we worship the one who forgives us when we come to him with our hearts full of repentance? Let's focus on the one who would have a fish fry for us. The father who would kill his best cow so as to throw a party for us. After we heard him, after we talked about him, you better believe that at some of those parties, that son was saying some things. (coughs) Now let's just look at what happens next in verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, We don't know what these are. Some people have have said that maybe it's it's ministry. Some people have said it's just fish. Some people have said it's the disciples nearby. We don't know what it is. I kind of tend to think it's fish, right? Like, bro, you went right back to fishing? Like, after all the training we did, you went back to fishing? Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, feed my lambs. Second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Now, you got to know that there's a reason for everything Jesus does, right? Do you remember when, when Jesus told Peter that he would deny him? Jesus warned him, you would do this before the rooster crowed. Now, let's go back to that story. This is the New Dale translation in Matthew 26, 69. You can look at it later. Peter was hanging in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, hey, you were part of that Jesus gang. Peter said, you're talking crazy. Then another girl saw him, and she said to everyone, this fool was with Jesus, Peter. Who is this Jesus you talk about? I've never heard of Jesus. I just got here. What's going on, guys? Then someone else said, dude, you have the same freaking accent as Jesus. We know you are from his hood. Then Peter said, may God strike me down if I'm lying. But I don't know that loser. The rooster crowed three times. Peter left ugly crying. This is the sort of thing that Peter would have held bitterly in his heart. Man, this dude, Jesus, he walked with me, he died for me, and I denied him the first chance I had. But Jesus here is restoring Peter. 
and proclaiming to him that God will use him in great ways despite himself. Why do you think that Jesus asked him three times? He was restoring him. Peter denies him three times? I'm going to restore you three times, Peter. Peter, you're okay now because I'm here, because my love is greater than your sin, because my mercy is greater than your sin. My forgiveness is greater than your sin. To the great deniers who return, there is a great redeemer who will not deny you. To the unlovable and the unloving, there is a great redeemer who will not deny you. To those who have cursed the name of God, there is a great redeemer who loves you and he will not deny you and he's not mad at you. He's too good to be mad at you. Our actions may deny him, friends, but if we repent and we seek him, he will not deny us. I'm gonna close this up. The word paideia, which Jesus uses to speak to disciples, is literally translated this way. Little children. He calls them little children. I like to think he calls them bros or fam, but he calls them little children. Was there any mistake or disrespect when Jesus called the disciples little children? No, because they're in his family. And when my child is one years old and they, they, they fall over, it's not like, what an idiot. No, it's like, oh, you fell. It's all right. Get back up. I love you. It's all right. This is the way that Jesus saw his children. Hey, kiddo. Tussles the hair. Peter, it's all right. I got you. He's not mad at them for losing faith. He's not showing anger. He's asking them to join him for a meal. Meals were this intimate form of friendship in Jesus' time, and it was a beautiful way for Jesus to restore them. Now, I remember uh, back when I lived in Kansas. Um, you know, I'm a San Diego guy, but I, I really lived in Kansas for seven years. That's my confession. And uh, I remember there was a time when my daughter, she was probably like three or four, she fell and got stitches again. Again, on her face. Big old nasty gap in her cheek. It was disgusting. And I remember taking her to the emergency room, and they put my daughter in a papoose. You guys know what a papoose is? It's like, I don't know, it kind of looks more like, a, like what they put mummies in, you know, and they strap you in. They put her in so she couldn't put her hands up. And uh, I had to sit there because my daughter made this dumb mistake in the shower where she just got a little too goofy and the side of the shower cut her face. Um, and I had to sit there as they strapped her in and they put a, a big syringe in her cheek and she's staring at me like, Daddy, what's going on? Daddy, why, 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 why? And I, I just remember too, as they start to stitch her up, she's weeping and crying and I'm like, focus on me. Focus on my eyes. Hey, we're going to go to Dairy Queen. What are we going to do at Dairy Queen? We're going to get a big old Sunday, right? What are we going to, what are we going to eat on our Sunday? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, are we going to get caramel on your Sunday? You want some caramel? You want some caramel on your Sunday? Yeah, yeah, maybe some caramel. Okay, hot fudge, hot fudge. Okay, gosh, this first stitch is just barely done. Okay, hot fudge. Do you want some pineapple? I'm trying to think of all the different things that you can put on a Sunday. I'm like, hey, you want some pizza on your Sunday? No? Oh, ha, 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 ha. I'm just trying to engage her, trying to keep her attention on me, not the fact that there are two people holding her down, putting a needle through her face. Now let me ask you, do you think in that moment I was mad at her? No, I adore my daughter. I was mad at her when she was chewing at the table recently, but I adore her. And it, there's nothing my daughter could do to stop me from loving her. My love for my daughter 
does not depend on anything she does. It depends on my love. And that is the way that Jesus sees you too. There's nothing you can do to stop him from loving you. He's not mad. He's not angry. And I'll tell you, when we went to uh, Dairy Queen after that, I'll tell you, that was the biggest dang Sunday. I got her everything that she wanted. I would have put pizza on it if she wanted it too. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. He is trustworthy, little children. A good God is always trustworthy. And here we see him calling his disciples to himself. And I believe he is calling us back to sit at his feet. Those children, the way they danced this morning in our service. Yeah, they danced like it was a quick song when it was slow, but they did it with joy. And I don't think you can do that without confidence that you're loved. Come sit at Jesus' feet. Remember that he has pleasure in you and enjoy his presence as he strengthens you for what lies ahead. Little children, he delights in you. We're called to be little children and yet have maturity as we, ching, we, we cling to childlike faith. And I think a mature child is one who would have a serious dependence on the Lord and yet seek to be stronger and grow, trying to know and understand him even further and to fully Know and understand God is to know our place in his work. Don't be left out of it. But friends, all too often we're like Israel. We have been abused by our sin and by the sins of others. And when things go wrong with the church or God, well, we may not like the way it's going. We might start to pine for Egypt again. Man, those hot dogs in a crock pot. Mm. Those middle ones still frozen. Mm, that's so good. And God's like, man, I'm not mad at you for wanting hot dogs. I just got some steak right here. Idol worship. It means we can turn to things that are good when we should be turning to God. Yo, there's people in here, I will tell you. Like, I don't think weed's a sin. Someone is going to take this out of context. Um, but I think weed can draw you in and, and, and just hold you down. I don't think alcohol is a sin, but I think alcohol can hold you captive. I don't think this phone is sinful in itself, but it can hold you captive. And when you're struggling and you go straight to this or straight to weed or straight to liquor or straight to meth or straight to chocolate, we're going to something that God needs to fill. Yo, and I've gone to my share of chocolate and carne asada, okay? I've gone to my phone. But more and more, we have to find fulfillment in God and see that he does not condemn us. He, he only longs to forgive us. Now, if you want to reject him, you can enjoy some condemnation. But I believe that he accepts us if we commit to following him. If we confess our sins to him, he is righteous and just to forgive us. So friends, Jesus approaches us as a loving parent. I think he gets down here and he looks us in the eye and says, child, children, there is a better way. My burden is light, and my love for you is great. And so if, if you've never taken a moment to say, God, I, I, I know how messed up I am. I know how messed up I'm going to be, but I want to tr try to follow you and in your power become more and more who you want me to be, then I say don't leave here without saying that to him and telling everyone you know. Because he's good and he loves you. He's a good dad. He's not a bad dad. And he wants to cook a meal for you. Friends, let's pray. Father, we, um, 
We're going to hear this message. We're going to go home and we're going to not do something right. And we're going to instantly think that you're mad at us and angry at us and don't love us. God, would you protect us from that terrible mindset? Would you protect us from shame and help our guilt to draw us to you instead of away from you in the church? God, for those who are staying home right now because there's a sin in their life that they're unwilling to deal with, God, I pray that you would reveal to them that you're not angry, but you're loving. And God, while you hate sin, you don't hate us. In this moment, friends, um, I encourage you to silently confess your sins to God. Lord, some of us have at times said that we don't need you. We don't want you. We've got this figured out on our own. Your way seems really rough and hard and and not easy. Would you forgive us? For those in this room who have habitual sins that they go back to and they go back to and they go back to, Lord, we ask that you would not only forgive them this morning, but you would give them the power of your Holy Spirit to overcome. For those who have been so abused and so hurt in this, mor- this morning, God, would you give them the strength to see your face and not the face of their abuser when they go to you? Would you protect them from that mindset? God, the fact that you would share a meal with us is so beautiful. And we thank you that we can come to you fully forgiven, fully loved. In this moment, God, we know how much you've loved us. We understand the gravity of the cross and and how great your forgiveness is and not go back. Not go back to whatever our fishing is, whether it be sin or something really good that we use to replace you. Thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so our sin is from your sight. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, now as we we share this meal together, might we do it with joy as we remember what it means to be forgiven by you. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into the next song, we've got...